you know, being a business owner, being a father, um, and being obviously the chef, it's, you know, it's a challenge every day, which is, it excites me, you know, a lot because that's what keeps me going. So, you know, if it, you know, if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. This is The Crackling. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Cooking over fire has been a real feature of the restaurant landscape in the last five to 10 years down under. It's where instinct comes to the fore, but what is it like in a restaurant setting relying on the most pure heat sources? For Jake Kelly, the lure of the embers and the open flame has resulted in one of the most exciting restaurants to open in Adelaide in recent history. Jake, how are you? I'm good, mate. How are you, Huck? I'm good. You opened RK. Oh, it doesn't feel that long ago. It might feel like a bit for you. Oh, big time, mate. A couple of extra grey hairs in there, that's for sure. Um, no, it's been good, man. We've been probably into, what are we now, for 15 months now of uh, RK's been open. So, um, yeah, ticking along nicely. Um, yeah, and busy, which is the main thing. So, it's good. Well, we caught up with you on uh, our sibling podcast, Deep in the Weeds, before you opened. I can't believe it was that long ago that so much has happened since then. Um, what's it been like becoming part of the Adelaide hospitality uh, scene, given you a vast experience all over the globe? Um, look, mate, it's been it's been really great to be honest. Um, you know, such an you know amazing group of restaurants down here already, and you know, very very humble to be a part of it uh, now with RK. Um, you know, so. Yeah, no, it's great. I think there's a great big energy um, around Adelaide at the moment and the dining scene. And, you know, I think in probably the, the next few months, 12 to 24 months, I think Adelaide will give, you know, Sydney and Melbourne a good, good uh, red hot crack. Australia is culturally renowned for their backyard barbecues, but cooking over fire in the restaurant sense is so far removed from um, burning eyebrows and charring sausages. <laughs> um, tell us a little bit about cooking over fire and the approach, because it's it's not necessarily about licking flames. No, definitely not. So, like at RK, we obviously have we have our two and a half ton sort of dual cavity wood oven. Uh, so that's sort of like our furnace that creates our coals. So I think it's one thing to lighting a fire um, on, say, like a you know a grill, um, but having an oven to be able to produce coals um, and replenish your grills every you know fifteen to twenty minutes is a bit of an art. So um, with our ovens, they sort of get up to about you know seven eight hundred degrees most services. So um, yeah, it's, it's generally that person that's working on the ovens is, is generally can wear the heat pretty well, but um, no, I think it's definitely something new that's definitely come to Adelaide in the sense of like how we cook. Um, obviously, we've got a couple of elevation grills and a big open hearth as well. So, we don't have any electricity or gas per sale in our cooking line. Um, so, we're, and we're cooking for, you know, what are we doing on Saturday night? We did about 130 on Saturday night. So, it's a, it's a beast. Uh, I, every now and then, I do look out into the dining room. I look at our staff and go, oh, bloody hell, what have I... What have I created? But um, you know, I think that's just what makes us a little bit more unique um, in Adelaide. So, it's, yeah, it's exciting. There's lots of things that can go wrong in a kitchen during service and that rely, reliance on electricity and, and gas and things like that. It's sort of thrown out the door a little bit with what you do. What's some of the challenges that you face with you know, cooking over the, sort of that natural heat source like that? Um, look, I always want to have like a little induction set up for service, that's for sure, <laughs> just to like whip up something uh, or a sauce if something splits like we do a burb long sauce if like splits then you generally have to like 
go out of the back and make it again. So there are small little challenges. Um, we obviously have a deep fryer. Uh, we have like a little cauldron and that's over coals. So, um, you know, obviously keeping, you know, the, the coals under that so they all stays hot. So when we fry our hash browns that are in smoked beef fat, you know, up, like it doesn't drop too low because they won't go crispy and they'll go soggy. So there's all these little small things. But generally the way, you know, spending time at burn ends and that I've sort of come to immune to, it naturally comes to me on how I want to cook and, you know, what I know, that how to cook over fire. So, um, so yeah, that's sort of natural instincts, I suppose. Are you a vastly different cook sort of pre-experience with cooking over embers to, to post? Do, do you approach produce and the techniques differently? Oh, big time. Yeah, I, like even at home now, I, can't, I don't reckon I can cook anything in a pan. Like I'm out, I'm out of the back of my house now, I'm looking at my Weber. Um, and a big crate, crate of wood. So, it, um, yeah, like, you know, from restaurants, I come back, like, you know, when I started off my apprenticeship, I like working at Aria and Ramsey and the Lebri, where, you know, things were always done in a pan, you know, and you roast in the pan, you look good knob of butter, you know, thyme, garlic, nappe, nappe, nappe. Like, I would, I haven't done that for years now. So, um, when I just come to just grilling over fire. So, um, yeah, I think I might my style has changed quite quite a lot. Well, I want to explore this foray that you've um, had into um, cooking over fire and particularly the cooking of pork over fire as well. But you just mentioned a few of the restaurants. You've, you've worked at such amazing venues. Take us back to when you were young. What were the really important sort of venues for you as you sort of earned your stripes? Um, look, I think Aria was probably a good, you know, a good stead for me. I did obviously my apprenticeship up on the central coast of New South Wales, a small restaurant in Wong called The Little Frog. Um, so I started my apprenticeship there, but obviously moving into, you know, a, a high end, you know, restaurant with Matt being there and Ben Turner uh, and Simon Sandal, um, who were the head chefs there at the time. Um, you know, I learned, I learned the, the proper way very quickly. So, um, you know, you know, I spent a few years there and back then, like when I was coming for apprentices, like being an apprenticeship, sorry. Um, in restaurants, you know, you, you, you did your diligence by staying there for two or three or four years, you know, to earn your stripes. And um, I kind of did that for a few years and then, yeah, moved, moved to Melbourne and opened up when Gordon had the restaurant Maze um, down there. So, yeah, I think, you know, that I think it kind of gets lost these days. You know, I've, I was telling a sort of a bit of a story the other day when I used to work at Aria and I saw, you know, all the sous chefs walking around in Aria aprons and or I went to the Lebri and there was guys walking around in Lebri aprons. You know, if you if you spent two years longer, if you spent two years in the kitchen, then that was a sign to say like, I've done my time. And I remember I, I remember I used to work in kitchens like that. And, you know, I used to see those jackets and I was like, I really want one of those. So I'm going to make sure I stay here for two, three years so I can get it. So, um, but yeah, I think just, you know, grafting on in kitchens is sort of what I learned pretty hard pretty early. Produce is at um, the backbone of some of the restaurants that you mentioned early on. Do you have any sort of memories of your first experiences of cooking pork in a commercial kitchen like with Aria and, and Maze? Yeah, look, I think, you know, it's obviously, yeah, like when I was an apprentice, I it just jolted my memory then, huh? Um, we did this, um, we did a, you know, a beautiful entree dish where, you know, well, you know, back in the 2000s, like it was like this maple glaze on the plate, on a square plate, a white square plate at Aria. And um, like maple glaze and curabuta pork, confit in the oven, crisped up in the pan with a little like poached pan, um, done in hibiscus syrup and some endive. So like, you know, that was a very fond memory of pork for me. Um, 
And obviously, when I used to do the hot lada, when you cook, you know, back then Aria doing, you know, three, four hundred covers on, you know, on a, sun, on a Saturday's night service, you know, you're grilling those off or crisping those up before service, you know, generally about 30 or 40 portions of it because it used to fly out the door. So, um, but yeah, probably fond memories of when I worked at a restaurant in Melbourne called The Commoner uh, in Fitzroy, that sort of, you know, Matt and Joe really had a good emphasis behind pork and I think that's where I sort of started to really love cooking it and, and yeah, used to just do it all the time. So um, we had an amazing wood oven out the back, so sort of a bit spoiled in that sense of cooking delicious pork. You mentioned uh, the Ledbury. It seems like a bit of a rite of passage for so many um, great Australian chefs to do some time over there with Brent Graham. Um, take us to your experience. What was it like for you in that kitchen? Oof, it was pretty hard. Um, I was there, I was just turned 19, so I was pretty young. I went over there probably a bit too young for an English kitchen. Um, the Ledbury just got its second star, um, so... Brett was just on a mission um, and so was everyone else in that kitchen. But, you know, the produce and everything that we used to get through the doors there was just so amazing. And I think still to this day, I think the way, you know, Brett looked at produce and looked at cooking and looked at food in general um, was definitely something that I admired at a very young age. And, you know, when I left the library, it was just like, I want to be like Brett. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, he had definitely a massive impact on me in the short period of time that I was there. The, the produce over in the UK is very different to us, Australia. Um, do, you, do you have any stories of what it was like in the Ledbury? You know, did they, did Brett utilise pork or parts of the pork in certain dishes that you can recall? Oh, big time, yeah. Like we used to, on the on our set menu, we used to run pork on two courses. So it was like, um, you know, we do like a little braised, a little braised shoulder as like the first course and then we went into like pork jowl. So, you know, we used to get, pretty good whole like you know whole sides of pork in we'd break them all down and you know the loins would be maybe used on du jour menu for lunch the next day with like you know preserved apricots and chanterelles or you know we'd braise the shoulder down like i said and yeah so i think he you know and that's like brett's kind of style as well he made sure he utilized the whole thing so the whole animal um in every aspect so no it was good it was good to learn that you spent some time uh working with heston blumenthal as well what was that like um, yeah, it was good. It was definitely a bit of an eye opener, um, you know, coming from, you know, maize and aria and stuff like that and learning a different style of cooking. Um, you know, doing a stage out there for, you know, about two months I was out there for was, you know, was amazing and definitely like it was cool to see that kind of style. Um, following that, I went in to start working at the library. So yeah, like it was unreal and, you know, a good bunch of boys out there, um, a little bit further out of London. So it was a little bit harder if you wanted to have a day trip it was always a bit of a mission to get back into town but um yeah look it was it was a, it was a great learning curve i'd say um and yeah look my, you know one of my good mates is uh the head chef there now so it's we still keep in contact which is great it's amazing to hear you say that you wanted to be like brett graham after that experience with the lead um tell us about your time when you came back to australia and you started to sort of make a name for yourself at various venues what, what was the sort of real key moments for you um, probably I'd say probably the key moment would have been probably starting, like taking my first head chef role at 23. Um, that was when like, okay, like, you know, I get to cook my own food and, um, and start doing that. So yeah, that was at the commoner. So Joe and Matt gave me an opportunity to take over the kitchen. Um, and obviously they'd had it for about, I think about six or seven years when I jumped on board. Um, so they, you know, they had 
you know, they, they understood the business and like the whole business side of aspect was a, an amazing thing to learn through them as well. Um, you know, going to the markets early in the morning and make sure we're trying to cut costs as much as we could in the sense of produce and like just going that extra, you know, those extra one percenters, two percenters to go out of your way to try and, you know, help the business in every way as it was a very, it was a pretty small restaurant. Um, it was a good thing to learn. Um, but yeah, like I think it was an unreal time for me and just having, you know, a few years there as head chef under my belt and moving on working with Scott, um, was great as well. So yeah. Scott Pickett, um, is a renowned, renowned chef and made a huge impact on Melbourne's culinary landscape and continues to, um, take us back to Estelle. Was, was his kitchen a little bit different to what you'd experienced? <laughs> yeah, big time. I think Scott still had that old English mentality, um, in, in kitchens when I first started working for him, where he'd scream at everyone every 10 seconds and he probably still, he probably still does that to this day. Or, um, but yeah, no, it was unreal, you know, having Josh Pelham there and Aaron Brody and like good sort of guys that come from, you know, like the square, um, you know, and Aaron was amazing in London with Jason Atherton. So, you know, still having that really good experience of chefs around you. Like we had, like it would have been probably hands down one of the best kitchen teams in Melbourne at the time. So, um, yeah, I love working for Scott and super excited. He's actually going to come over to Adelaide in, in, in May and do, do a dinner with us at, at RK. So, yeah, that'll be good. And, you know, I mean, Scott's always been a massive mentor for me and anything. So I have questions about the business or anything like that. So we still have a very good relationship as well, So which is, which is awesome. Do, do you have any sort of stories of, of that influence and how he's influenced you? What sort of impact has he had on, on you? Um, he did it very cheekily. So when I first, like I moved from the Commoner and um, I worked at Estelle and I came, I, I won Australian Young Chef of the Year, which was awesome. Um, and during that period, Scott, I think Scott had been through the same is what I was going through at that point in time. So he kind of knew the direction I was on and the opportunities that would come. And like, you know, he let me, you know, Scott would go, okay, you can go represent Estelle. And I went and cooked down at Dark Mofo uh, in Tasmania. So he let me do the most amazing things. He, he just let me push myself. And as long as I backed it up at work, he was like, mate, you can do whatever you want. Just be transparent with me and, you know, just flag the Estelle brand heart as much as you can. And I was like, unreal. So, um, he was very supportive in that way and, you know, and obviously winning, you know, Australian Young Chef, like he was there um, when I won it. So, yeah, it was an amazing time working for him. He's, yeah, he's just been a massive mentor for me. So it's good. Take us to um, Singapore. Uh, was was that the sort of real big turning point for you in regards to uh, cooking over fire? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, big time. So it was... Yeah, three years with Dave um, was, yeah, you know, I still look back on those three years and just still pinch myself on, yeah, like what, what we did and, and you know, what came through, the, like the opportunities that came our way and, yeah, it was unreal. It was a really good turning point for me and obviously working with an, an amazing team that he has up there with, you know, front of house with TK and Yvette and Deborah and who are my sous chefs. Like, yeah, they really, they really taught me the proper way of cooking over fire. Well, you were, you were part of the team that really um, solidified its presence in the world's best lists and and um, uh, Michelin star, and it, its impact has been incredible. To take us into that kitchen and the approach and what you started to learn there, particularly um, cooking over pork. Yeah, there was um, yeah, that's the thing with Dave. There was no real, there was no real off button 
with old Pinto, and I don't think there still is. So he's just that. That was something that I really learned from him. That you know you always keep the ball rolling on, on every aspect in a restaurant and always keep pushing the brand and everything like that. So it was amazing working with him in that sense. Um, and, you know, even that went down to, you know, he started his own sort of freight business. So he we actually started bringing up fresh pork from Western Plains. So it was pretty unreal. Like we'd get four sides, so two whole pigs, you know, four sides. We'd get them once a month. We'd break it all down. You know, shoulders would go into our sanger, used for our sanger meat. Um, you know, the bellies we'd turn into belly chop. The loins and the chops we'd put on the menu. Short loin would go on the menu. Um, and then we'd, you know, we'd probably send the legs to Meatsmith and they'd like do a hand brine on that and then put it through the smoker at Meatsmith. So, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a bloody operation, that's for sure. And, you know, once we, it, you know, to get four sides, it'd take us, you know, me and Alice there probably, you know, good three hours to break it all down, box it up, get it sent off to Meatsmith or put it upstairs in the cool room. So, but that was good for me because I still got to learn about, you know, I'm still breaking down whole animals, like, and the pork that, you know, Judy used to send up to us was amazing as well. It was always the, the, the creme. So, um, no, it was amazing. So it was good, good, good pork dishes on the menu all the time. And obviously being from Australia and being in Singapore, it was a good, it was a good match. Uh, you spent quite a few years there. What did you take from your time um, when you came back to Australia from those experiences you had at Burnt Ends? Um, I think probably the biggest one is don't slow down. Just keep uh, keep pushing and, um, you know, obviously I'd like to, you know, Dave's a pretty good mentor in that sense as well. Like Scott, you know, he's, you know, there's things that he wants out of a business and, you know, it's it's it was good to see that. Um, and I've sort of taken a few of those attributes and, and also a big thing of how he built culture around a restaurant. I think that's something that me and Greta, my VM, had countless chats before we opened and we were just like the biggest thing that we want to create for this restaurant is a great culture. Um, we want staff to be able to come to work and that's what it was like at Burn Ends. You know, we all walked in the door every day. We knew we were working in an amazing restaurant but we all had each other's back. You know, if, if someone was down on prep or front of house was struggling, we'd all jump in and make sure that that person was okay and that was an aura Dave had well, like – it was incredible. Like he'd walk in the restaurant and everyone would just be like, boom. Like it was just an amazing, it's an amazing attribute that he has. And that's something that I really took out from that, that, you know, if whenever I did open my own restaurant, uh, like I wanted my, I want my team to have that as well. So um, that was a, uh, definitely one of the biggest things I learned from him. Well, let's talk about your own restaurant. How did RK begin? Oh, mate. Uh, that happens. I was actually doing a, I moved to Adelaide and I was doing a bit of a pop-up down at Pirate Life, uh, a brewery here in Port, and down in Port Adelaide. And, um, yeah, Jack and MC, they got me a food truck, built me this amazing grill pit. Um, and I did Fridays, Saturdays and Sundays out of a food truck and everything was cooked over fire over the summer period of two years ago. And um, my business now business partner, Marty Palmer, came down. He was looking at a hotel or a, a boutique hotel down in Port. Um, and he came with his business partner, Ed Peters, and I used to feed Ed quite a lot up in Singapore because he used to have straight wine. And, um, yeah, and it sort of Ed just said to Marty, he's like, you, you need to hire this guy. Anyway, one thing led to another. We had a bit of a chat, and Marty said, do you want to come have a look at a venue? And I was like, yeah, yeah, no, let's do it. And um, I was a bit optimistic because Marty's got, you know, he's got some amazing pubs around Adelaide. Um, 
So I was like, oh, I don't really want to do a pub. But then we walked into our, we walked into it used to be called Stone's Throw. Um, my first in that like it, you know reaction was it was pretty big. It's a bit it's okay. It's a bit of a beast. It's a big site. Um, but obviously, spending a little bit of time at Mimi's with you know Justin and Jordan Toft, you know, and the, the way Mimi's used to run as well, I was like having that experience coming back from Singapore and seeing that. I was like, you know, and the Mary and that Maryvale vibe. I kind of like okay, well, I reckon I, I know what I could do here. And then when you've wait wanted something for so long, I kind of just where I saw when I saw the kitchen where it was situated in the building, I was like, I just started rattling. I just you know. Bumped all the partners and shareholders were there and I just started rattling it off and they just all looked at me and goes, all right, we need to have a beer. So, um, and then that was it. And one thing led to another. We, yeah, we opened on Arcade on the 24th of November, 2021. Wow. What, what was it like building your own restaurant from scratch? Were there unexpected challenges? Oh, big time, especially when you have a baby like seven weeks before you open. That was probably the biggest challenge. Um, so, yeah, that was that was hectic, but, you know, I really learned a lot from the building, the building process, um, which was great because um, this is the first sort of one I've, well, this is the only one I've ever done. So especially from the ground up, um, but you know, Marty was, you know, amazing to work alongside with as a business owner and you know as my partner and obviously Studio Graham doing the fit out with one, you know, amazing awards for our, uh, for our design and all that kind of stuff. So it's been, yeah, it's been great, but. Um, yeah, I think the hardest bit was obviously having my son and then turning around to my partner the next morning and going, i got to go. Um, yeah, I was, I was in the doghouse for a couple of days after that. So, um, but no, it's all, it's, all, it's all paying off now, so it's just great. Let's talk about the cooking over fire and, and, and pork and how that weaves through the menu. Is, is there a couple of dishes you can tell us about where um, pork is front and centre? Yeah, big time. Look, maybe we have a great pork producer here in Adelaide, South Australia, I should say. Uh, it's the Dairy Man. So, um, Michael, um, his his daughter actually is Greta, um, who's my VM. So, um, there's a good little relationship there. Um, and we, yeah, we get our, all our pork from him. So we just take we take the middle cut. So all the bellies, the short loins, and the chops, because it's very. You know, so I would say it's a, I would say it's a small producer. Um, the dairy man. So he's got Berkshire, he's got Tam, Tamworth, and he's got Hampshire uh, breeds out at the farm in Barossa. Um, they're all fed on milk, barley. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's an amazing product. And we're, the, we're literally the only restaurant in South Australia that gets the, the middle cut. So yeah, it's, it's, it's really unique because I know everyone's sort of asking like, Michael, can we get the chops? Can we get the bellies? Can we get your short loins? And we actually take it all at RK. So um, and we go through it as well, which is great. So we just, yeah, we take, you know, we use the short loin, the slow roast it in our cold oven, um, and then we'll use that on either our, on our, one of our taste, tasting menus um, and our pork belly as well. Um, and we also just started doing like, you know, pork short loin chops, like rubbed in adobo, uh, a little spice, which is great, cooked over the fire. And then we obviously do the chops, whole racks on big nights, um, or we break them down and weigh them and tag them and serve them by the kilo. Tell us about cooking um, the whole rack of pork over fire. Um, take us through the process and how you get it right. Yeah, we so we give it a good sort of temper. Um, you know, pull it out say probably about two or three o'clock if we're you know going for a six o'clock service, so it gets a nice good temper. Um, and with our ovens at work, huck, we got two sides. We got a hot side and we have got a cold side. Anyway, the cold side sits at about 
you know, when it hits probably Friday, Saturday, it's just about 160, 170. And what we do, we go in and out of the cold oven. So we'll go in for, say, 10 minutes out, and then we rotate the pork, then we go back in. And we probably do that about, oh, probably 10 to 15 times, rotate, rotating it all the time. And then once we bring the pork to about, say, 44, um, that, that skin's sort of generally, like, nice and dry, and we score it beforehand and like lightly salt it. And then when we've got the the hot oven just like raging at like, you know, nice big hot coals and fire, we then put that skin um, and that whole rack in front of the co- in front of the hot oven and the skin just crackles up. So we generally bring our pork to about 49, 50. Um, and yeah, man, we just we take take the chime bone off the floor of that and just cut it into chops. So it's a Again, like we're just trying to like, you know, obviously, you know, we, when we do it in the cold oven, we're always chucking a smoking log in there as well. But it's, you know, still that emphasis of making sure that we're still cooking and the integrity of the restaurant is making sure that we're still cooking everything over the fire or around smoke or, you know, we, we're utilizing, you know, radiant heat for our cold oven. The, the beautiful thing about the menu that you have as well is um, the versatility of the produce and and the unexpected ways they're working together. And one of the things that really stood out for me was the roast pork on toast that you had. Um, could you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, big time. So we like, you know, obviously if we're doing, you know, if it's Friday or Thursday night and we cook a whole belly or we cook a whole short loin or something like that, we, we might not sell it all. Then what we do, you know, obviously we do like a cold cut on toast. So we like chill it down and we put on the slicer the next day, nice little slices, grilled bit of sourdough, brushed in brown butter, mustard dressing. Then we just warm up that pork back up um, and then we in, in, in the cold oven or in front of the hot oven just with a bit of pork jus. And then we do a little, and then we wrap that, put that on top of the toast with a little tartar salad. So you got shallots, uh, capers, chopped rocket, um, dress a little bit of sherry vinegar, uh, olive oil, salt and pepper. We dress that over top of the pork. It's just obviously utilizing, so it's utilizing. The, I wouldn't say it's waste, but you know, if we don't, if we don't use all that pork the night before, you know, it's either in your general aspect, you're either going to think, oh, okay, well, it's either going to go to star food, um, or you know, it might just get left in the corner with someone would. So we just like we just try to utilize, you know, using something cold. You know, it's like having cold ham the next day after you do a roast or something like that. So we're just making sure that we're using it up, and it's also pretty. It's also pretty tasty. <laughs> You've used all sorts of um, breeds of pigs and um, some extraordinary products in various sort of restaurants. And and here you're using um, the Dairyman at Milk Feeds, I, I believe, some of the, the pigs. What's so special about that pork? Um, I think it's just the, the flavour profile um, and sort of still like obviously from the milk and that barley, still still get quite a bit of fat into the pig as well. So it's, it's like, you know, you know, some of the, you know, the fat that comes on the pork, you know, every week, it's like, it's, it's beautiful. Like, it's just super nice that the pigs are still getting that good layer of, you know, good layer of fat and they're get, getting fed well. Um, that's something that we look at, you know, pretty heavily when the pork does come in because if it does come in quite lean, I sort of say, you know, just flag it to Michael and it's once in the blue moon, you know, he might, that that's really all. But, um, yeah, I think the feed's really important and especially out in the broth, it's, you know, it's, it's very hot um it's a little bit it's a lot hotter out there than it is in town so um but yeah and obviously the pasture out there you know we went out to michael's farm oh, a couple of months ago about three or four months ago um and got to see it properly so 
yeah, mate, he runs an amazing, amazing business out there. He's got beautiful mushrooms. He's got great buttermilk, good butter. Um, so yeah, he he does he does the whole works out there. So it's great. Having such vast experience um, cooking in on all sorts of mediums, what, what's the benefits um, or advantage for you cooking over embers and using a natural heat source? I, mean, I think it's just the the, the, the flavour hook, you know, you just, you know, if it, a pork, whether, you know, nice pork chop, you get good caramelisation, you know, you render that fat down, good crackling, um, you, you can't really go wrong. And, uh, you know, especially, this, you know, we use great wood at RK and using red gum, which is loads of it here in South Australia. So, you know, it gives off a good flavour profile, especially for the pork as well. So um, I just think, yeah, just maybe you can't, for me, like I, I talk like so naturally, it's like cooking over, you know, that over, you know, the fire. It's just, it's a no-brainer for me. Besides, you know, I haven't put anything in a pan for a few years now, but I reckon I'd get a probably a different flavor profile. So, I think, and that's something that we use on all our dishes. You know, it's I think the key thing is making sure that everything on the menu is as tasty as it possibly can, because that's what's going to bring the customers back. And you know, if you've got tasty food, that's you know, that's generally what happens. Well, RK is a, a real amazing success story, especially emerging out of the last couple of years, which has been challenging for, for everyone on the planet and particularly hospitality. What do you, what do you love about what you do? Oh, me, it's, 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 I think what I love about what I do is a challenge every day. You know, if it was easy, you wouldn't, you wouldn't worry about it too much. But, um, you know, we, you know, having, you know, being a business owner, being a father, um, and being obviously the chef, it's, you know, it's a challenge every day, which is, it excites me, um, you know, a lot because that's what keeps me going. So, you know, if it, you know, if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. So, um, but no, I think that's something I really enjoy that it's a challenge and I've got amazing staff and amazing people around me to support me on the journey that Arke's on. So, um, and there's some really exciting things happening in, in the next few months and I think everyone's, yeah, really jumping behind it. So it's great. Well, uh, it's an absolute honour to catch up with you again, Jake, and it's great to hear of the success and and what may come as well in the future. Um, Please stay in touch and we'll catch up again soon. Yeah, big time, man. Sounds good. This is The Crackling, a Deep in the Weeds production in partnership with Porkstar. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we catch up with some of Australia's best chefs and pork producers to discover what makes Australian pork so special.